today is bring, bring our goal today is to bring to completion our hamartiology study, the study of sin. So this is this is our last one. So speak now or forever hold your peace. Just kidding. On the back of your handout, there's a chart. Um, I oh no, it didn't print it. So I didn't mean to steal it, but I unintentionally stole it. That chart is from Charles Ryrie's book, Basic Theology. So at least I said that verbally. Maybe write that in there. I even have the page number. I did it the right way. It was footnoted, but when I copied and pasted it, lost it. So sorry about that. That's right. (laughs) Charles Ryrie in his book, Basic Theology. Charles Ryrie? Ryrie! Yeah, it does. So that's his chart. Um, he, what he's doing is he's just comparing con- and contrasting um, inherited sin, imputed sin, personal sins. So he gives a scripture for each. I believe we've looked at all, except we haven't touched very much yet on personal sins, but we will today, Lord willing. Transmission, the way these sins, the... Um, Inherited sin, what we talked about is sin's taint on every aspect of our being, how it has corrupted us. So that's transmitted generation to generation. We got it from our parents who got it from their parents all the way back to Adam and Eve. Um, Contrast that with imputed sin. If you subscribe to that view, that's imputed directly from Adam to me. It doesn't go generation to generation. It was when Adam sinned, we all sinned in him. And then personal sins, obviously there's no transmission of those because they're personal. They're ones that we ourselves commit. So then the principal consequence of each inherited sin, the principal consequence is spiritual death. In other words, we're separated from God, we're alienated from Him at birth. That's what Ephesians 2.3 is getting at. We are um, dead in our sins, we're children of wrath just as the others. We're alienated from God, spiritually dead, because we're separated from God, who is the life giver. But then the principal consequence of imputed sin is the physical death aspect. That's why even someone who has never sinned, a baby in the womb, can die. Because sin has tainted not only our being, but it's also tainted the world, where it doesn't work how it was intended. Death is a a dire consequence of the original sin. And so we're all affected by that, even though we didn't commit that sin personally. Then the principal consequence of personal sin is loss of fellowship. That's a little bit more what we want to talk about today. And then the remedy column is what, um, what we're looking at as we finish out this study. So on the front side of your sheet, please. Yep. It's good. That's it. Spiritual death, separated from God, loss of fellowship, severed. Think first John. Good. So we're talking consequences of sin. So how does it affect me? And then we want to start into solution. How do I get rid of it? 
um, which will lead us into our next study, which is soteriology, the study of salvation. Because that's really, that's where we want to spend the bulk of our time. But we'll take a little bit of time today just to, to talk through it one by one. Shall we jump into it? So consequences of sin, how does it affect me? Imputed sin, just as we noted on the chart, the penalty is physical death. So that's Romans 5, 13 to 14. So let's just go back over there to Romans 5, where we've been the last three weeks, and refresh our minds on that. So imputed sin, Romans 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So it's the idea there of sin entered the world through the one man, Adam, and as sin entered the world, sin's consequence, its result, is death. Death passed on all men, even though, not, even though we didn't sin after the similitude of Adam's transgression, we still receive that very tangible consequence of sin that is physical death. It's a reality for everyone. As Hebrews 9 says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. There's nothing we can do to escape death, physical death on this earth. Well, unless the Lord comes back first. What's that? That's right. Or unless we turn into an Elijah. So that's imputed sin. And we see that because people who have never personally sinned before still have, they're still subject to death. Death is still in charge over all of humanity because of sin. It's a reality. Brother Warren? Yeah, that is. Sure. Hmm. That's interesting. And it's interesting because that's kind of man's conquest is to find life apart from God. Yeah. That was the Tower of Babel. We're not going to be destroyed by another flood again. Well, didn't work out so well. It's interesting. God, God will not permit that. Hmm. Interesting. Miss Sari? Ouch. 
don't trust biotech for eternal life. Yeah, that's true. As many technological glitches as we have, it's a little bit scary to put your confidence in that. It's interesting because apart from God, there really is no hope. And there is no life. That's right. Hmm. So let's go look at Ephesians 2. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2. Looking at now inherited sin. The penalty of which is spiritual death. In other words, separation or alienation from God. And as you're going to Ephesians chapter 2, remember back, Garden of Eden, prior to the fall, Adam and Eve had a, an untainted relationship with God, a close fellowship with God. There was no barrier between them and God. But then after sin, remember they go, they realize they're naked, so they try to make themselves close out of fig leaves. But then when they hear the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, what do they do? Well, they hide themselves from the voice of the Lord. They don't want to see God anymore. There's a loss of fellowship, which is the signal of spiritual death. So Ephesians 2, look at verse 1. And you, hath he quickened, he's made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So it's this aspect of, he says, you he made alive, but he's talking about prior to salvation, we were dead in sins. We lived our lives according to the course of the world and according to the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world, who directs the course of this world. And that was, that resulted, we were by nature the children of wrath. There was inherent separation from God. That's the idea of spiritual death. And if one's perpetuated in that state of spiritual death, the end result is eternal death in the lake of fire. And we'll go and look at that in a bit. But that's inherited sin, so there's separation or alienation from God. Then personal sin. So let's go back to Romans. We'll flip around a little bit this morning. Go back to Romans. And just remember, Paul's argument in the book of Romans is that the righteousness of God has been revealed from, through the gospel, through Jesus Christ. But he says the bad news, that the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3, talking about how all have sinned. So verse 9, because Paul has talked about how the Gentiles are under sin. Then he talks about how the Jews are under sin and deserve God's condemnation. And then, chapter 3 is that all have sinned, and therefore all are under condemnation. So verse 9, What then, are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. 
There's none that doeth good. No, not one. He keeps going, and then the verse that we're thoroughly familiar with, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So it's this idea that not only was sin imputed in that we all physically die, not only did we inherit corruption in that we are sinful, we are separated from God from birth, but we also all personally sin. There's none that does good. There's none righteous, not even one. So I say there, we've all sinned both overtly, which is our actions, things that we do, that we commit, that are overt, they're apparent. But as well, we've all sinned covertly. Those are attitudes. So going back to remember our definition of sin, it's not just actions that we commit, but it's also our attitudes, our thoughts, even our speech, anything that's in rebellion against God. So we've all sinned personally in these ways, but the result, now let's go over to 1 John. Welcome, Kendra. First John chapter 1. First John chapter one, look at verse, uh, look at verse three. He's just said, John's talking about something that was from the beginning. We've heard, we've seen with our eyes. He says at the end of verse one, concerning the word of life. He says the life was manifest. We've seen it, bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the father. So then, he says, verse 3, that which we've seen and heard, declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ. So fellowship, that's the idea of sharing together. It's relationship of communion. He says, I'm writing this to you so that you can have fellowship with us. We can share in common, but truly our fellowship's with the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ. Then he talks through, this then is the message, verse 5, which we've heard of him declaring to you, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. We don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So John bounces back and forth. He introduces the concept of fellowship as the concept of light because God is light. In God, there's no darkness. There's no taint of wickedness, no sin. And he says, so then if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship. We have fellowship, obviously, with him because he's light and we're walking in light. But then if we claim that we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, in other words, we live a lifestyle of sin, which is against God, who is light, then we're actually lying because we're not practicing the truth. Do you see that dualism there, the back and forth? So 
personal sin, the result is severed fellowship with God. Um, and then I say, for the lost never possessed fellowship because of their sin. So the lost, they're alienated from God from birth. But then even for a believer, we can lose fellowship with God by participating in darkness. It removes us from the light. Not loses salvation, not loses relationship. We're still saved and his child. But there's a loss, a break of fellowship, of closeness because of sin. So the eventual consequence for unatoned personal sin, unatoned meaning the, the work of Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, his sacrifice has not been applied because one has not received it by faith. Unatoned personal sin, the result eventually is condemnation. That's Romans 1.18. The wrath of God's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men. Talks about it, chapter 3. But then in the lake of fire. Revelation 21.8. Anybody remember that verse? We can look at it. You'll remember it when we get there. Revelation 21, verse 8. Revelation 21, 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's the idea of eternal death. The second death. So after physical death, the ones whose sins were never paid for because they didn't receive Christ's sacrifice, that's their eternal destiny. Eternal condemnation. Yeah. Yeah. It's talking about the judgment. The great white throne. The sea brings up all the, all the dead that are in it. Death and hell are delivering up the dead which were in them. And then they're judged, every man according to their works. But then it's as death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. Sounds like a terrifying place. But ultimately, it's all based on verse 15, Revelation 20, verse 15. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The only way to have one's name written in the book of life is through faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So then, for believers, end of that paragraph under personal sin... The consequence of personal sin as a believer, as a child of God, is loss of fellowship. There's a loss of closeness of the relationship, not loss of relationship. But that can result in hindered prayers. Psalm 66 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It can result in lack of assurance. Remember, 2 Peter 1 says, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance. He walks through that. And then at the end of that, he says, but those who have not added these qualities have become so short-sighted that they forget that they were cleansed 
from their former sins. So one who lives in sin and regular separation from God, not eternally, um, but fellowship, lack of fellowship, sometimes a true believer forgets that they were cleansed and they'll struggle. Well, am I really saved? And sin brings that. Loss of future reward. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15. Remember that? If anyone builds on this foundation, Christ is the foundation. But then he says, wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. And it's going to be tried by fire. Remember that? So there can be a loss of reward. Fatherly discipline. That's Hebrews chapter 12. The Lord chastens those whom he loves. He brings discipline into our lives to help us grow, to help us repent of our sin and turn away from it. But then one more from this section we should go and look at. Let's go and look at 1 John 5, 16 to 17. While you're going there, James 5 says something very similar. Brethren, if you do err from the truth and one converts him, let him know that he who converts or turns back the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and will hide a multitude of sins. So it's the idea of helping an erring brother turn back away from his sin. And it saves the soul from death, he says. But then 1 John 5, similar idea, verse 16. If any man sees his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life. God will give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. So that's an interesting section, isn't it? Have you ever thought about those verses before? What's it talking about? A sin unto death, a sin not unto death. Any thoughts there? No. Sorry? Unspoken thoughts. No, my thought was that I rarely, unless it's an extreme example in church, I rarely see anyone speak to anyone else about a sinner. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, maybe it's because they feel guilty or I feel guilty about my own sin. So I don't want to condemn someone else. Yeah, I agree. It's rare. Comparatively rare to how often Christ said we should do it. Tim would speak to his children about misbehaving in church or doing something uh, at home that I'm not supposed to be doing. But Tim has never come to me and said, I don't see him sitting in your life. Has he come to you guys? I don't know. I've seen him come to people, but he does it privately because that's what Jesus says to do. Yes. So if you're seeing a bunch of people going to others about sin, you're actually doing it wrong. That's right. If you see it happening, I don't know if that's correct. Yep. Why is that? Jesus says to go to the one person privately first. So that's Matthew 18. You go 
If you're Matthew 18, 15, moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he'll hear you, you've gained a brother. So that's what Sari's saying. It's actually a private thing. If Tim sees you sinning, he should only come to you. I should know nothing about it. Unless we both saw it, then we should both come to you. That's right. Then you go to someone else. I confess my sin this morning, so you can't come to me about what I've Oh, 57. Oh, that's funny. But yes, Matthew 18, go alone. If they won't listen, take another with you. And then if they still won't hear you, then it goes to the church body. And that's kind of the idea of kicking someone out of the church because they will not repent of sin. Church discipline. Matthew 7 gives the, gives the imperatives. Remember the speck in the brother's eye, the log in your eye. Take care of the log in your eye first before you go. So... Yeah, sometimes that's a reason is because opening my mouth and speaking to another means that I have also got to deal with myself. Yeah. I'm sorry, Tim. That's okay. I was just saying that because Paul or Peter, one of them says, if we're going to talk to somebody, we need to do it in meekness because we know that we can fall into the same thing. Yeah, that's Galatians 6. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Because often, all it takes is just some encouragement in the right direction. People go, oh, you're right. I was sinning. Thank you. I want to do what's right. And you don't even have to tell them they were sinning. Yeah. 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 It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It brings up First Thessalonians five, uh, verse fourteen. Paul says, "Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly." In other words, a strong rebuke those who are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded, someone who's weak in their mind. They're really discouraged. They're struggling mentally. But then support the weak. He says there's these three groups of people. Here's three different ways you respond to them. Someone who is in active sin against God. They're unruly. They need a rebuke. They need a warning. Hey, the path you're taking is dangerous. It leads to destruction. But you don't bring a strong rebuke against someone who's feeble-minded. Someone who is struggling. Discouraged. 
He says, then support the weak, comfort the feeble-minded. But the end of the verse says, be patient toward all men. So whether they're unruly, whether they're feeble-minded, whether they're weak, all of them we ought to be patient with as we come to them. And doing it in the spirit of meekness, as Tim said. It's good. So the big idea is there is a sin that leads to death. In other words, if there's a believer who lives in unrepentant sin against God, there's a time that only God knows that there will be physical death as a result of their sin to preserve them from going farther in their sin. This untimely death, it's the ultimate consequence for unrepentant sin as a child of God. No one knows that line. Only God does. But that's what James is saying at the end of the book of James. He says, hey, go and warn that person because you never know. If you convert them, you turn them back, you might be saving their soul from death. So that puts some urgency in what Warren's bringing up. We should go to one another. If it's a visible sin someone's committing, go to them. Privately. That's right. Do it in love. Love covers a multitude of sins. But the point is, you actually might help keep them from an untimely death. Kendra? Um, yes. So like physical death, as this person has gone on in unrepentance and they won't admit that it's sin and turn away from it, there comes a time after God has chastened them, disciplined them, that's Hebrews 12, there comes a time God can bring physical death to preserve them spiritually. In other words, they can't lose their salvation, so God takes them before they would go there. Yeah, that's it. Hmm. Any other thoughts here on consequences of sin before we move to the solutions for sin? That's what we've been waiting for. It's so much fun. Siri? Something too about the untimely death is if God's going to punish sin in the believer, it also stands as an example for those of us that are watching. If you have someone who is a great Christian leader and they decide that they're actually homosexual and then they're going to cause all those problems while insisting that they're following God, you know, us as we watch him go through that, it would serve to show us that God does take sin seriously. Yes. So it's not just for that person that's sinning, it's right. also for the rest of us as well. Yeah. Consequences, I think God does them in so that the wise take heed to the consequences. That's right. So essentially the deterrent effect that it has for other people watching when God takes someone early, they go, wow, sin is serious. God takes it seriously. Like Achan, a pretty good example of don't take the forbidden treasure from Jericho. He takes it, he hides it, and there's a visible uh, untimely death for Achan's sin that warns the rest of Israel, wow, we, we might want to take what God says seriously. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, when people accept people like them, when they accept Christ, they look younger, they look happier, mm -hmm. they haven't changed their lifestyle, but God mm -hmm. just counts yeah. them. Yeah, and that's actually just a little earlier in James 5. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. At times there are sin that brings sickness physically. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it shows up on the face. Yeah. I think you need to define whether this is the conversation is about Christian or non-Christian because we're kind of mixing it all up together. Yep. So we have bounced. about Christians or is this about non-Christians also? And then we look at then we come to another point which would be so we see Christians who, to all appearances, seem to be really faithful and, and, uh, and diligent. So all these people that die young. Well, I'm just like the thing about Keith Green. He died in when he was in his 40s or something, or in 40s, late 30s. Mm -hmm. you know, he did so much in terms of writing some great songs, great songs, and he died in his, I think it was a plane crash. So, was it because he had sin in, here's the question that some people have got raised. Was it because he had some sin in his life he was not defending him? He thought that, okay, that's it, Keith, you've done good work for me, but I'm going to take you now because you would not repent. Yeah. So, and there's other people that we, we don't know what's happening in their lives. Great question. So remember, the disciples actually asked Jesus that question. Is the blind man, Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus says, actually neither, but so that the works of God could be manifest in him. And then Jesus heals him. So there are times that God takes people early and that early death is a result of their unrepentant sin. Other times it's a result of living in a fallen, sin-cursed world. An untimely death happens, and it's tragic, but it's part of sin's curse on the world. So we should not make the assumption, but someone who is actively, openly sinned against God, well, there is evidence there for they very well may have sinned unto death. There has to be something happening in my mind because the sense of God's justice are you just going to let this person claim to be a Christian and live and live and mm -hmm. enjoy life and benefits and money and airplanes and everything? You're going to let, let them keep doing that? Or are you going to do something about it, God? There has to be a sense of equity and equality. Yeah, but not in your time necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying that our hearts want to say there has to be something that makes it right. But isn't there a verse that talks about the rain will fall on the good and the bad because sin has entered it doesn't matter if you have Christ or don't have Christ good and bad will happen to both sides and so because sin has come so strongly that's where like death comes in cancerous diseases stuff like that yep Yep, because of sin. Not necessarily personal sin, but living in a sinful world. Exactly, because God makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. He cares for the sparrows too. Because even people who aren't saved, I mean, they could be living a, yeah. a wonderful life that we think is just 
You're thinking of the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, Kendra? Yeah. So that one's the only unpardonable sin. Unpardonable being. Well, that's that's what Jesus called it. So remember the unpardonable sin. I'm coming to your question, Alan. So the unpardonable sin. Oh, it's good. It it brings us to it because we talked about it a little bit last week. um, So it's good to refresh it. The unpardonable sin. What happened was. Jesus has just performed visible miracles that could only be performed by God himself. And then the Pharisees come and they say, he's casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. In other words, this is satanic power. And Jesus then talks about it. He knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How shall his kingdom stand? And if by Beelzebub, if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Um, then he, I'm going to drop down verse 31. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, in other words, Jesus, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So there's different understandings of that text. Let me just make that clear. My understanding of what Jesus is saying is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost will not be forgiven because it's watching a, an un. Um, an unarguable, inarguable work of God, a miracle, a sign that, that shows Jesus is the Son of God. He is who he says he was, rejecting that that's the power of the Spirit of God, attributing to Satan, that's what those Pharisees were doing. So that was unpardonable in the sense that they had hardened their hearts. They had watched, this is Messiah. He's done the signs that Messiah would do. And they say, no, he's not Messiah. Essentially, my thought on it is it's rejecting Jesus as the Christ, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and therefore they won't be forgiven. Does that make sense? So that's kind of the ultimate sin. So in that sense, yes, there's degrees because that sin's unpardonable. The rest are not. They're, They're pardonable. But we did talk about it last week, and I could give you a copy of the notes. 
Um, but we went and looked at some texts. So Numbers 15, we looked at that God distinguished between sins of ignorance and then a high-handed sin. So like when you sin on accident, like, okay, so speeding, Warren brought that up. There's a difference between if I'm just going over the summit, I crest over the summit, I'm not on cruise control, and boom, all of a sudden I look down, oh no, I'm going 64. There's a difference between that and then me on my way home going, hey, I just wonder how fast my truck can go. So I get on the parkway and I floor it, and pretty soon I'm doing 80 past, um, past the elementary school. Well, that's a little bit different. The high-handed sin is an intentional sin against God. It's like when we discipline our children, when they accidentally knock over a vase, well, I'd rather they didn't knock over a vase and maybe I've asked them to be careful, but that's different than, Sally, don't do this or do this. And then they go, no, and they do the opposite of what I said. Well, there's a different consequence for that. So high-handed versus that, sins of ignorance. But we went and looked at two other texts, John 19, um, Jesus told Pilate, remember in his trial before Pilate, he tells Pilate, actually the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Because Pilate is just the government official put in power by God. But Caiaphas is a false high priest, but he knew the truth. And yet he delivered Jesus, the Messiah that he should have accepted, to Pilate to be condemned. So Jesus says Caiaphas had the, the higher sin than Pilate. Sorry? Judas. And Judas, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But Judas too. Same thing, Matthew 11. Jesus had done many works in the cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And he says that it's going to be because they rejected Jesus, they rejected his signs, and they attributed those otherwise. They said, no, he's just a good man. Whatever they say. But then Jesus says it will be more tolerable in judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for Chorazin and Bethsaida and more tolerable in judgment for Sodom than for Capernaum. And Sodom, that's not a good place. They were wicked to the core. And yet he says those who rejected Christ, his visible signs, have it worse in the judgment. So yeah, there are degrees. God's law represents, you see that in the law. For instance, murder, well, it's capital punishment. But someone who takes the ox, you know, they have to return the ox and fourfold, etc. So, yes, but there is, it's not just personal opinion. Well, I feel like that's wrong. Well, it doesn't matter what we feel like. It's in alignment with God's perfect justice seen in the scripture. Or maybe think of that was reset, you know, to talk to somebody one-on-one that's But my opinion greatly different from yours. Yeah. I think it's bad. Yep. You know, and everybody, I think everybody has their own opinion of what level you would need an intervention. Right. Like, if Warren hadn't told us that he already confessed his sin of speeding at 57 miles per hour today, would anyone have gone up to him and been like, hey, I think you are in sin and you need to repent? Probably not. Because like Warren said, Diana might have. God bless you with a good wife. Um, Probably. I mean, for many of us, probably because we'd rather not anybody come up to us when we go 57. But it's a good illustration of it. But yeah, you're exactly right. And that's why we align our standard with, well, what does Scripture say? So maybe someone does something you don't like. Maybe they have an abrasive personality. But there's a difference between abrasive personality and speaking ill. 
for instance, say, doing gossip. You know what I mean? I won't bother you unless you have 70. That's my threshold. 70 to 55 is my threshold. I, I was thinking I shouldn't have confessed that here. That's just me. Because he may be looking for my car. <laughs> don't, don't anybody tell Alan what car Warren drives. They're behavioral things, too. Yeah. Oh, then That's right. And so those are the areas where scripture talks about we need to forbear with one another, bear with one another. Kendra? Sorry, this is really quick. Good. Okay, just up there's some of my brain. So say I am murdered, Eli, we both come forward, we ask for repentance at the same time, and it's like, well, please forgive us of our sins. I've obviously in the world done a horrible thing. He's, you know, like, oh, that's but we both ask for forgiveness at the same time. We've been forgiven. Are we forgiven? Like God just like, okay. You both are equally forgiven. Yep. Okay. So not one sin is any greater than another sin in that sense. Right. We come and ask for forgiveness because we all fall short of the glory of God. And even though murder sounds so horrible and it is, those people will be forgiven as well. Yeah, and so there's the distinction from the worldly perspective, even though you're forgiven before God, you deserve capital punishment for murder, whereas, right, right, there will be consequences, but not eternal consequences, well, not in the sense of eternal condemnation in hell, but, so they're all equal in that they all require the same payment of the precious blood of Christ, his blood is precious enough to pay for a lie versus speeding versus murder. But there is the 1 Corinthians 3 passage, a loss of rewards. Well, there might be less rewards lost for a lie that is then confessed versus a murder that's then confessed. But a good illustration of it is David. He did both. Lied, murdered, committed adultery, um, a bunch of sin. And then Psalm 51, he comes to God and he says, Against you and you only have I sinned. And God forgives him. David doesn't get capital punishment. And... He's still called the man after God's own heart. So absolutely, in that sense, it deserves the same eternal condemnation. It can receive the same forgiveness through Christ. So in that sense, they're equal. Yeah. For the warrant? I think there's a point here. Is that we need to be careful that God is telling us to talk to that person at this time. Because it may be, in the course of their life, they may be a baby Christian and making mistakes all over the place that you can say, oh, you did this because the Bible says you did this, and just nailing them left and right when they need encouragement yeah. to walk a straight path. And it's not important to God right now, but uh, maybe we can... We need to listen to God and say, God, do you want me to say something right now to this person? Is there a better type? Or are you going to deal with it some other way? Yeah. Need to, he's, our, he's our boss. And we need to do what he does in terms of correcting uh, something. Yeah. Amen. It's good. Keep telling her that when she doesn't. <laughs> well, we'll wrap it up there.